What you're hearing right now is a song called Sugar Moon. It's a song from an upcoming album from the band Shorty's Swingin' Coconuts. They're a surf band based out of Long Beach, California. They've got an upcoming release called Mai Tai in Hi-Fi. You can pre-order it right now over at swingincoconuts.bandcamp.com. They've even got some upcoming tour dates. April 15th through the 17th, they're going to be at Viva Las Vegas Rockabilly Weekend 25. On April 23rd, they're going to be at Ragdoll Boogie in Long Beach, California. And May 14th, Tiki Caliente 13 in Palm Springs, California. If you go check them out, or if you pick up their album, let them know that you heard about them here on the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I am your host, writer-producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. Big thanks to High Tide Recordings for making this song available to us here on the podcast. Big thanks to you for being patient enough to listen to this episode of Monster Kid Radio a little later than I would have liked. I wanted to get it out yesterday, but the reason it didn't is because we had some computer problems. So finally, big thanks to my man, Tom Doffel. Tom has worked his magic once again. My computer went under the digital knife and over the course of two days, Tom worked his magic and completed a cyber surgery that involved an upgrade on my computer. Little tiny things like needing to reinstall all of my software and try to recapture or regenerate all of my old passwords and all of that kind of got in the way of, well, getting this episode out on time. And I'm still missing some software and registration keys and random billing things and don't even get me started on Citibank. (laughs) anyway show's here and it's because of you and because of Tom Tom I don't think you listen to the show I know you tune into the stream but I'm just going to put this out there I want to put some positive energy out there into the universe the cyberverse whatever you want to call this the potiverse because you have saved my digital bacon and that's spelled B-A-C apostrophe N because I'm a vegetarian more times than I can remember, than I can count, and you are one of the secret ingredients, weapons, pieces of what makes Monster Kid Radio go. So, Tom, thank you. Okay, let's talk about what's happening this week on the show. A brand new voice, somebody new to the mix. We've got an artist by the name of Michael Mastermaker. Yeah, that's his last name, and we're going to talk with him about that as well as a movie that he really, really likes. We're going to revisit a classic. Now, we are getting to the point in the history of Monster Kid Radio where, you know, if I want to go back and look at a movie that we've already talked about once before, I'm going to do it. And this time around, we're talking about 1932's The Old Dark House. Again, so call this The Old Dark House Part... I don't know. It's The Old Dark House, and we're going to go there with Michael... Mastermaker. It was a fun time. I had a great time getting to know him a little bit better. And we talked about the old dark house and a whole bunch of other stuff along the way, because that's what monster kids do. Once you get them talking about their favorite topic, monster movies, which is what we do here on the show and what Mark Matsky contributes to every week on the show, because he takes us to some monster television. He has his beta capsule review where he's been taking us through every single episode of the entire ultra franchise And we are into Ultra 7, 7, 7. You know, I swear 
I always promise to never do that again, and yet I always want to, and this time I just gave in. So we're talking about an episode of Ultra 7 with Mark Matsky. He's got his beta capsule review, and we've got Kenny's look at famous monsters of film land. He even found a way to revisit the old dark house in his own way. Stay tuned for that. Speaking of staying tuned for things, let's stop that. Let's just get into the show right now. have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color, rated GP. its way back to terrorize the living. The terrifying horror of a dreaded man called Dr. Terror who, with his deck of mystic cards, could foretell destiny. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, Plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. 
In a scenario reminiscent of Hitchcock's rear window, a boy named Akira spies on the weird guy next door in the 10th episode of Ultra 7, entitled The Suspicious Neighbor. It's a good thing Akira is as nosy as he is because his curiosity draws the attention of the Ultra Guard. And Yuri, who had been treating Akira's injured leg, brings in Dan Moraboshi to investigate. And when they observe strange physical effects around the neighbor's property, Dan springs into action, landing himself in another dimension. There, he comes face to face with Akira's neighbor, who identifies himself as Alien Icarus, who has established the fourth dimension with a special apparatus for the purpose of creating an invisible staging area from which to launch an invasion. Dan attempts to transform into Ultra 7, but the Ultra Eye cannot function in the fourth dimension, and Dan's body begins to slowly shut down. At the same time, an Icarus flying saucer begins a bombing campaign against Tokyo, which prompts the Ultra Guard to take flight. And Dan finds a way to communicate with Anne, telling her he's going to destroy the machine generating the fourth dimension, which will prevent the invasion at what may be the cost of his own life. The suspicious neighbor continues to refine the formula of combining the horror and sci-fi elements of Ultra Q with the kaiju and transforming superhero elements of Ultraman. With a souped-up base and emphasis on space travel, Ultra 7 has its own unique approach, and in episode 10, there is a deliberate sense of unbalance, which harkens back thematically to Ultra Q. This is amplified by a host of unusual visuals, such as the oddities of the fourth dimension and the point of view shots from Ultra 7's perspective in the middle of a battle. Episode 10 is elevated by the appearance of guest star Ren Yamamoto as Alien Icarus. Yamamoto, who appeared in the first episode of Ultra Q, as well as Ultraman's Phantom of the Snow Mountains, Toho's Godzilla, Seven Samurai, War of the Gargantuas, and many other genre classics, gives a creepy, restrained performance as the suspicious neighbor of the title. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. you when you face it. The mummy. Born from the darkest tomb of the pharaohs, it rises from the quiet dust of centuries to wreak a strange vengeance against mankind. The mummy. It tears steel bars like paper. It snaps men's spines like matchsticks. It walks through bullets like a ghost. It sees without eyes, it lives without breath, yet its desires are strangely, madly human. The motion picture screen's most shocking experience in suspense. In chilling Technicolor. The Mummy. 
The most terrifying form of evil is that which lurks within the human mind. This is Asylum of the Incurably Insane. Asylum, the ultimate in horror. Asylum, the prison of madness, where few enter and none return. Asylum, filled with stark raving terror, from Robert Block, author of Psycho. <laughs> See Asylum. You have nothing to lose but your mind. Asylum, from Cinerama Releasing, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. This week's film, The Old Dark House, was given full film book treatment in Famous Monsters 66 from June of 1970. It was a 12-page article with 17 photos. It was also featured on the cover. With a beautiful Basil Gogol's painting of Gloria Stewart looking frightened as a creepy hand touches her shoulder. The article begins with this. Long lost, the first Karloff film of horror following Frankenstein has at last been rescued. Spookily directed by James Whale in 1932, its cast included, beside Karloff as the dumb brute Morgan, Melvin Douglas as Pinderell, Charles Lawton as Sir William Porterhouse, Lillian Bond as Gladys, Ernest Thessinger as Horace Femme, Eva Moore as Rebecca Femme, Raymond Massey as Philip Waverton, Gloria Stewart as Margaret Waverton, John Dudgeon as Sir Roderick Femme, and Brimber Wills as the Mad Saul. Film drama by J.B. Priestley. Here's the exciting story. It continues with a very detailed synopsis of the film. Monster kids in them days weren't worried about spoilers. At that time, for all we knew, it was the only way to know about and enjoy the film. It had been lost and restored, but that didn't mean it was available at Walmart. I was well into my adulthood when I first saw the film. To give you an idea of the detail of the synopsis, let's take a look at the introduction of Boris Karloff's character during the film. There was the noise of heavy bolts being withdrawn, and the door opened some six inches. A face peered at them. Margaret shrank back in fear. It was a dull animal face that looked out. Slowly the door opened wider till his full figure came into view. He was a big lump of a man. a shapeless creature with full black beard and matted hair over a low forehead. He reminded Penderel of a gorilla more than anything else. We've come to ask for shelter, Penderel explained. We've lost our way and the road seems to be impassable. No sound came from the man. His massive body did not move. Not a sign of comprehension showed in his eyes. Only the ugly scar across the bridge of his nose and another over his right eye seemed to deepen in color. Don't you understand? Penderel was getting impatient. He felt himself getting drenched to the skin. We've come to ask for shelter. What about it? Slowly the man opened his mouth and pointed with a thick finger down his throat. Then he made strange, gruesome, guttural noises. He can't speak, Margaret whispered. 
mute. Slowly the ugly creature came to life. He took a few lumbering steps back into the room and with an unfriendly gesture beckoned them to enter. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Do you believe in ghosts? This is the night when fear and horror walk hand in hand. This is Black Sabbath. Incomparable Boris Karloff, the personable Mark Damon, and lush and lovely women, even though one is from the netherworld, a vampire, a Vordalak. Black Sabbath, as ancient as superstition, as modern as the telephone. How nice you look with that towel around you. You always did have a beautiful body. Black Sabbath, the bare truth about the unbelievable, such as the brilliant beauty of a priceless jewel that holds within the body of a buzzing fly, a vengeful woman's murderous spirit. Only on the seventh night of the seventh full moon can the living see the lifeless undead. I am hungry. Is he man? Or vampire? An adventure into black magic that goes beyond the boundaries of the supernatural. A man's devoted love is welcomed by a woman's deadly lust for his blood. the room was quiet. Had it been a nightmare? What woke him? Was the candle in the antique mirror moving? Was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad? The Crimson Cult. So terrifying they won't let us tell you about it here. She'd wandered alone. The passageway between the walls was damp and musty. She dropped her candle. And then I heard it. Now she has no head. It happened in Horror House. I was there. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited behind forbidden doors. Horror House stars Frankie Avalon and Jill Hayworth. The Crimson Cult features Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. See them together for the first time. But don't see them alone. Rated GP. (laughs) Welcome to an evening with Karloff. The master of menace in five fright-filled features. Watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the terror duck. 
<laughs> it's only a gallon balls, the raven. Join Boris Karloff in the most gruesome day of the undead, Black Sabbath. Chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows? You may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Carlos' creepiest capers in nightmare colors. And you are invited. Listeners, I know it's been a little bit since we've had a new voice on the show, but we've got a new voice on the show. Finally, some new blood. <laughs> I'd like to welcome to this show... Uh, first time guest, but I've been friends with him on Facebook for a little while. Yeah. Michael Mastermaker, how you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks so much for uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the show and a fan of of what you do as well. So uh, it's my honor. And yes, Mastermaker is my actual name. It's a German name. It's not a pseudonym. It's not made up. It's my actual family name. Considering that you make some amazing artwork, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's appropriate now, but it, it still weirds people out. You know, they're like, what? What is that? Uh, I mentioned the art and, you know, there's a clunky yeah. segue. You've been posting <laughs> some amazing uh, artwork, some illustrations on Facebook. Are you Thank an you. artist? Like, what is your what is your uh, deal, man? <laughs> well, by day, I'm actually a, uh, a professor at a, at a college here in New York. Uh, I'm in New York and on Long Island specifically. And I teach mostly digital design, but by night. Uh, very appropriate, right? Uh, I'm a sketch card artist. I work for Tops, Upper Deck, Cryptozoic, uh, drawing uh, one-of-a-kind original sketch cards for properties like Stranger Things, Star Wars, Marvel, uh, Middle Earth, the CW, DC shows. But more appropriate to your program, I, I've I've done work for uh, the drive-in double features uh, produced by Folks uh, card set, which would be Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff in The Ape and The White Zombie. White Zombie, respectively, I actually did base cards for that set. I've done some some Krampus work, and I've also done uh, some work for Monster Wax doing their sort of spook show spectacular card set. And for myself, classic horror is is what I gravitate towards for my own art. So when I'm producing my own sketch cards and and prints and Whenever a company is gracious enough, like I recently did a series for um, Gabe's Cave, which is a, another YouTube show, and and I uh, did uh, Peter Cushing, a uh, Vincent Price, a Boris Karloff, sort of immediately what I what I gravitate towards, and I was in a art show for Hero Complex Gallery, which is over in Los Angeles, and uh, I did a Frankenstein's monster and a Peter Cushing as well, and a, and a Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween of uh, Laurie Strode. That, that's sort of near and dear to my heart and, and definitely played a huge role in influencing my illustration and, and the work that I do. I'm also a, a huge fan of horror comics and Hammer and, and Universal are, are very near and dear to my heart. You know, I know this is an audio show, so it would be really hard to show people your artwork, but is yes. there a place online people can go to? Do you have a website or anything like that? I do. I go by uh, Warp Zone Graphics, like Warp Zone from Mario Brothers, W-A-R-P zone graphics uh and that's on instagram i only post artwork so you won't find any like pictures of kids and dogs or or my food you'll only see uh drawings <laughs> I, I i post usually a drawing every day from everything from from random pop culture to to classic horror and everything in between including the the licensed work i do for card companies and the indie work i do for a lot of uh smaller companies 
So that's all posted on Warp Zone Graphics. I, that's my website too, but really all it has is just some commissions and some odds and ends up there. Uh, I've been so busy, I really haven't updated it with new new stuff. And on Facebook, I'm just Michael Mastermaker. It's just my name. And again, it's a social media account in, in name only as far as the social is concerned. Really all I do is post art. So my theory is you get bombarded with so much during the, the course of a day. If you could see a picture of a werewolf that makes you smile, I've done my job for humanity and that's it. That's all I want to post. I don't post about anything else. Uh, so it's just art, <laughs> art all the time. That's it. So if you want to know what he had for lunch, don't bother looking on Facebook yeah, and Instagram. Don't, but it, if you want a wolf man, you know, staring at you in the middle of the day, there you go. Hundred percent. Always, there's always room for lunch, Amy. Right? I mean, but like, yeah. I don't, I don't post pictures of my kids or my dog. There's enough people that do. You can get that elsewhere. So you know, right? Yeah. Follow me for pictures of cats. Follow yes. him for pictures. Of, there you go. The monsters. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, you you said it's social media in name only, but if not for the social media, I wouldn't have you on the show because you were the very first person to respond when I made a comment on Facebook in February about needing guests for an upcoming episode of Monster Kid Radio. You're like, hey, me, me. It's like, all right, cool. <laughs> it's I'm so desperate. Like in my normal everyday life, there's people don't know what I'm talking about 90% of the time. So, you know, it's nice to have someone, I was like, are you kidding me? Someone who knows like in-depth knowledge of, of complete obscure monster films and, and the ability to sit down and talk to them, please, all day long. Yes, please. That's clear your calendar type stuff for me. <laughs> right. And it took me a while to get this scheduled. So thank you for your patience on that. Oh, no and, problem. And no problem. Making it happen. So I really appreciate it. And, uh, you, you know, you said something about, uh, obscure movies and things like that and the movie we're going to be talking about today could have been an obscure movie and we'll talk yeah. about that a little bit here in a little uh in a short amount of time because there's something we do on every episode of monster mm -hmm. kid radio that i need to do with especially <laughs> a brand new guest we have a game that we call the classic five the, the classic, classic five. five i've got a deck of cards here each one of these cards has a this or that which movie do you prefer style question it's all about classic monster movies it's not a trivia game it's not about you know winning it's just about Chatting about our favorite topic, monster Absolutely. movies. Absolutely, yep. And I'm going to give this a shuffle here. I was both looking forward to and nervous about it. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody says that, but then I always have a fun time, and I hope everybody else does too. So here we go. Question number okay. one. Are you ready, sir? Yes, I am. All right. What's your favorite John Carradine monster movie? Oh, wow. That's a John Carradine monster movie. I Is it? I love the the, the sort of collective monster films towards the end of the Universal run. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna say House of Dra House of Dracula. He was he was he was in House of, right? Wasn't he Dracula? Yeah, in House of yeah, he was yeah. Dracula in House of House of Dracula. House of Frankenstein. I I know it, it. They're not you know they're not the most well regarded of the but I enjoy them immensely uh, for nostalgic reasons. So I'm gonna go with that. You know I know he has a rich and storied career, but I am Tom Becker. See before you a man who lived for centuries. Kept alive by the blood of innocent people. When the full moon rises, I turn into a werewolf. With only one desire. To kill. I tried to perform the miracle of science. And failed. My blood is contaminated with the blood of Dracula. I don't think Carradine gets enough credit mm -hmm. as Dracula. I know he played Dracula in a few other things too. Like Billy the Kid meets Dracula and things like yes. that. But, but his universal Dracula has a certain... Uh, gentlemanly charm to him it grew on me over the years yeah, yeah i didn't like it when i first saw it as a kid i i was like what is what's what's happening here but as an adult i uh enjoyed it and i think 
you know, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick, I'm sticking to my guns. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah, say, I'm not, I'm not I'm trying to talk you out of it. No, yeah, yeah House there of Dracula is a good film, one that I haven't seen enough lately. So, I I'll put that it. back on the list of things to watch here soon. All right, question number two. Oh, Christopher Lee or Peter Cushing? Oh man, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm wearing a Christopher Lee shirt, but my favorite actor of all time is uh, Gene Hackman. Sorry. But number two oh, wow. is, okay. is Peter Cushing. I and I I love. I've seen, oh man, so many. Uh, you know, from even Cash uh, Cash on, on Demand and 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 The Abominable Snowman and even some of the non horror non monster stuff that he made. The the Robin Hood film that he was in and and I'm a massive Peter Cushing fan and I I, I I've got to go with Peter Cushing because I I feel bad for the people that only know him as Grand Moff Tarkin. You're you're really missing out on one of the, the, the all-time great careers uh, and go now and, and watch his films. <laughs> like, don't don't stop. Well, you know, listen right. to the show and then when you're done with the show. Oh, right? okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, don't, yeah. yeah. Come, yeah, yeah. Don't stop in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I love Christopher Lee enormously and my favorite Hammer film is The Devil Rides Out, but uh, I, I just love Cushing and, just, and anything he's in, it's an instant watch for me. The two of them together are amazing, but if I had mm -hmm. to pick one, it's always... I'm Team Peter. I mean, I've made that pretty clear yeah. over the years. I, yep. I love Cushing. Lee's great, but I love yeah. Cushing. So. Lee's wonderful, and he's in a variety, uh, you know, of of so many breadth of his films. You know, I don't know anybody else that's been Dracula, Frankenstein's Mummy, the Mon, the you know, the Frankenstein's Monster, the Mummy, uh, a James Bond villain, Saruman, <laughs> a Sith Lord, and just about everything in between. Uh, you know, but. You know, dollar for dollar, I, I, I just, I don't know. There's something about Cushing's way about him that he can make a really bad movie thoroughly enjoyable. Well, my introduction to him was Grand Moff Tarkin, but I'm so glad mm -hmm. that I found him in other things. So, yeah, yeah I agree. Abs absolutely. I know I said it's never about winning this game, but you just won by naming Cushing. All right, card number three. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Card number three, the Munsters or the Adams Family? Oh, the Adams Family. Okay, not even, that was, not even that was fast. I, yeah, well, Charles, Charles, you know, it's funny that you, Charles Adams, uh, who I oh, I, abs I love yeah. as an illustrator, huge influence, and did the intro uh, drawings for the the new version of the old Dark House. So that was interesting to pick there. He did, and and mm, yeah. al also said that the original film that we're going to talk about was a massive influence on his art. So uh, yeah, for me, it's not even close. I, I I the monsters, I enjoy the monsters for what what they are, but I'm definitely. I don't know the Adams family as a as an entity. I even enjoy the the films and definitely without without question Adams family. You know the quest, I didn't even think about the fact that you know Adams family the the artwork to comic strip yeah. all that yeah yeah one of the all time great illustrators yeah. oh yeah. yeah yep all right card number four which movie do you prefer Mighty Joe Young or King Kong King Kong King Kong. Horror picture of all time. Don't let him get me! Ah! A beautiful girl torn from the arms of her lover by a jungle beast. Ah! King Kong. See a battle between prehistoric monsters on an island time forgot. A nightmare jungle creature from the primeval past stalking midnight streets. My baby! It's got my baby! the thrill classic of all time, the biggest gorilla picture ever made in motion picture history, the jungle epic that can never be duplicated. The RKO's original King Kong. King Kong. King 
I mean, I love Mighty Joe Young, but I mean, King Kong is, I mean, it's King Kong. <laughs> you know, you can't really say much. Uh, my friend, one of my other artist friends, a, a gentleman by the name of David O. Miller, who who worked for TSR at everything, we we got to chatting at a convention once, and he said to me, "Just make sure you never watch Kong on a on a screen where you're bigger than Kong." Oh, okay. Uh, and that was really good advice. And I had the opportunity to see a print of it on a on a large screen, and it was a transformative experience. Uh, you know, and Mighty Joe Young, Joe Young is is a special film to me. My my uncle, who kind of introduced us to all me to all of these these genre films, was a massive Mighty Joe Young fan, actually. And I love the film. It's it's endearing in a, in a, in a different way. But there's nothing like the first time you see King Kong as a kid. Not I don't think there's anything. Like the first time you see, you know, monsters fight on screen is is just it's a magical moment. It's still magical for me when I watch it. So it's got to be Kong. Hey, uh, you know, I've never heard that bit of advice, but I like it. You yeah. Never watch was... Kong on a screen smaller than you. I like that. Yeah. He loses I mean, his impact. <laughs> if you can only watch it on DVD or Blu-ray, then do so. But if you right. see it on the big but screen. If, mm. if you have an opportunity and it's one of those movies that shows up on the big screen rather frequently in areas so do yourself a favor and experience it that way there you go all right final question if you could have been on set during the production of a classic hammer film which mm. one would it have been um oof, that's oh wow and just just one huh um that's 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 not fair that's not fair at all uh okay can I be like, <laughs> this is going to, it's not, I, this is going to sound weird, but I got to okay, be completely okay. honest with you. Um, Curse of the Werewolf. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Just because I would love to say that I got to get bombed with Oliver Reed. <laughs> late grade. You know, I'm a, I'm a, a, I'm a whiskey drinker myself. And to just get drunk and do the town with some hammer ladies and Oliver Reed is, I mean, with all respects to Cushing and Lee, who are fascinating and amazing. I have to imagine that that would be a rollicking good time that I could not say no to. So, um, you know, I've never had anybody answer that question that yeah. way, and I love it. I'm not a drinker myself, but uh, yeah. I can imagine uh, that would yeah, be one I mean, heck get, of a night. <laughs> and drunk day. and watching a brawl like with, oh. with, with Oliver Reed the, in his prime. Oh, please. Wow. Yes. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no apologies man that, that would woo. the stories you could tell after that for that's years what I'm that's, that's for bucket years. list that's bucket list stuff uh, well that was the classic five and i think it worked we got to know a little bit more about our guests and uh you know i, I think <laughs> you win i think you won oh well thank you i'll take it <laughs> now the nerves will settle down there you go there you go well you know we got to settle them down a little bit because we got a movie we got to talk about mm -hmm. the old dark house which uh, i know i kind of alluded to this earlier it could have been one of these obscure movies. It was considered mm -hmm. lost for a long time, and I'm so glad it's available now because it is such a richly uh, produced and it's just such a great film. What it was, really is. And, and you mentioned this uh, pretty early on in our conversation trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. What is your background with this movie? I grew up in New York, like I, I had mentioned earlier, and I grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, that's where I was was born and, and my family lived. So Many New Yorkers are 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 definitely familiar with the you know the 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 shock theater package that all monster fan right that we're all fans of that, oh, yeah. that sort of yeah. came to Channel Eleven here in New York on Saturdays uh, would play 
uh, monster movies pretty much all day after 11 o'clock in the morning. You'd have Godzilla movies, you would have uh, Universal uh, horror, and then usually the CBS movie, late night movie would be a ham- hammer, would be a late night thing. But in the afternoons, you would see quite a few of the, the Universal movies. And I grew up with them as sort of like a babysitter. When I was a, a young kid, my, my parents would drop me at my grandma's and she would sit me down in front of the television and I would watch Godzilla fight with, you know, Kaiju and love every second of it. And then, you know, watch a universal horror film. So I had seen many, many of these films. And then I, I, I don't remember where it was. It was it was probably in the 90s. I had seen a, a still in a magazine of Karloff as Morgan. And I said, what is that? You know, I, I, I had never seen the film. I'd never heard of the, the film at that point. And it was being sort of uh, credited as a universal horror movie. And I said, what, what you where does this fit? in the universal series. Cause we're all familiar with the classic, right? Like the, you know, all the, 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 the creature from the black lagoon and the Frankensteins and the, and the mummies and whatnot and the invisible man. And, but this, mm-hmm. I, you know, sure, I've sure. never seen reference to a movie called the old dark house. And it's such a name that it sounds almost like it was made up. So it took a little <laughs> investigation. Like I, I didn't believe it at first I thought, and, and the cast is a weird cast like Raymond Massey and Charles Lawton in a, Universe, like what? What? What are you talking about? Right. Like, what is going? What is happening? And Gloria Stewart was, you know, ty- from Titanic. Uh, I, I, so looking into it, I, I don't remember when I first got my hands on it, but I know that I was old. I know I was in college, so this was not a childhood uh, film that I had seen. I, I it was like you said, it was considered loss, and it wasn't part of that package, the shock theater package. So uh, a friend of mine who was a, a, a horror fan as well said, "Oh, I think you know." I don't remember if he got the DVD when it was released. I'm going to say in the 90s. Was it released 94? Something it like that. Does sounds that sound about right? right. Yeah, it sounds about right. And he said, oh, you should check this out. It's it's kind of cool. It's kind of different. It was made right after Frankenstein by Whale and, and Karloff. And, you know, you should check it out. And I watched it and I really enjoyed it. And then it became this like piece of obscure media that I just couldn't track down again. Never So it was never on TV. It was never around. It was never really spoken of. Until maybe like the last 10 years, it started showing up on Turner Classic Movies at Halloween. And that was like the the first time that I saw it again as like an adult is that it was part of they had like a, you know, like a Karloff uh, night, if you will, where they were showing some of the more obscure, like the ghoul, um, mm-hmm. you know, things that were a little off the beaten path. Not there wasn't the typical like, you know, mummy Frankenstein. They were trying to show some things like I- the Isle of the Dead. I think they showed that night. Um Oh, nice. And I, I saw I saw it again, and I and I just I loved it, and immediately sought it out. And I actually own a digital copy of it through Google Play, that you know through YouTube that I watch quite free. I always throw it on in the background because I love the dialogue. It's a beautiful restoration of the film as well. It looks glorious on a good TV, which is really nice. It's a must watch for me every Halloween for sure. That's guaranteed. But it's also like it's light enough that I throw it on on a Saturday afternoon when I'm doing stuff around the house because. I have a 10 year old and a five year old. So I'm, I'm always kind of mindful of what I, you know, what I'm going to put on. I'm not going to throw on like Halloween too while I'm, <laughs> while, I'm, while, I'm, while I'm doing some cleaning. And this is a movie that my, my, I introduced my son when he was about eight. I started introducing him to all the universal films. And this is one that he really enjoyed. Even last night when I put it on in preparation, he kind of sat down with his iPad and was watching it with me. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, he digs it. Like he, he, there's just, you know, a classical appeal, the look and feel of the film and the and the the dialogue. And I think 
this cast has tremendous chemistry. Oh, the the dialogue, the way they speak to each other, they just spark off each other. It's it's wonderful. Uh, the, yeah. the, the I compare it almost to like uh, the thing from the, the original thing. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. The 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 way that the the give and take between the characters, like Lillian Bond and uh, uh, Melvin Douglas, are just fantastic in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. and and Melvin Douglas in in general, I always enjoy. He's in two of my other favorite. I love Ghost Story and I love uh, the Chameleon. A fantastic haunted movies, horror movies. And he's just he's just tremendous in this film. He's funny and charismatic and just like magnetic. And he plays so great off the rest of the cast. And, and you know, you get Charles Lawton <laughs> coming in out of nowhere, which, you know, uh, I mean, always a welcome presence. Right. Um, never. You know, you're never going to say no to a little little Charles Lawton. And I just think everybody the way the cast works together in the in a film, which is a relatively like simple plot right i mean it's not it's not there's no heavy lifting as far as the writing is concerned but they they make it work and i i love that i love that about it (laughs) speaking of charles lawton yes he's not somebody that you normally think of when you think about universal horror no uh you know my introduction to a lot of these movies was through the uh, universal monster collection the vhs set Yes. They put out with the amazing artwork and the amazing, you know, just beautiful stuff. And the only one of those that has a lot in it is The Island of Lost Souls. And that wasn't even originally a universal film. I was something they, you know, whatever. So oh, you don't really. The, the Dr. Moreau film? Yeah. But you don't really think about Lawton with the big heavy hitters from Universal. So to see no. him in this, he to me is just a delight through this entire mm-hmm. movie. You know, yeah. he's got this kind of. Uh, this look of permanent bewilderment on his face, but it works. Mm-hmm. And, and the way he kind of talks back and forth, oh, it goes back to the characters and the dialogue and the way you can take any two characters, set them aside in a corner, have them talk, and it's fascinating. Yeah, and he's not, he's the character who comes in and he's not what you think he's going to be because he's like this larger than life and his relationship with Gladys, Lillian mm-hmm. Bond, is unclear at first. Right. And then when they kind of like delve into the story a little bit more and you realize that he, he seems to be a genuine, nice enough guy who's just trying to help out, you know, like he actually has this like sweetness to him where he's usually plays like the bad guy. Right. Or the, he- or the heavy or a guy yeah. that you just like don't like. OK, the way he recuses himself from what could have been a love, love triangle. Yeah, it's very it's very sweet and endearing. Um, mm hmm. And not at all what I expected to happen. When he's told, when the two come in, it's like, well, we're in love now. And he tells her, you know, we're going to get married. Well, it'll be the most honest day of work of your life. You know, just, it's just, <laughs> just I love that. He's lovely. Like he, he just, he's a nice guy. And I mean, admittedly that they fall in love incredibly fast. Oh yeah. But they do have great chemistry. So that helps the believability a little bit. And I know we kind of folk, I, I brought us to Charles Lawton, like, boom hyper focus mm-hmm. on him you mentioned the story it's really yeah a bunch of people get stuck in a house overnight and there's a storm out and the power goes out at one point and there we go let's see what happens you know yeah, it's, I mean, it's they're, not... they're a weird they're a weird family that's hiding something behind two locked doors upstairs mm-hmm. and that's it i mean that's and then you go from there and eventually you find out what family members are locked behind the two doors and uh, chaos ensues you know um and of course you have <laughs> Karloff. As the mute servant, Morgan, who apparently is, uh, you want to talk about nasty drunks. I had alluded to Oliver Reed. 
Oh, uh, man. Oliver Reed and Morgan could do some damage, apparently. When he gets to the bottle, they're like, he's going to destroy the house, which is still really funny to me. <laughs> like... <laughs> I mean, it's it's Karloff, and I know he plays monsters, but yeah, you read anything about Karloff, he was such a gentle soul. So to see him <laughs> breaking yeah, his like... fist through windows and slamming doors, and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and, like, pushing women around. Like, it's not a good look, admittedly. No. Um, and the other problem that we have, I mean, and, and again, I, I love I love Karloff. I love Karloff in speaking roles. I, I love yeah. when he gets to talk. And of course, Monster Kid Radio, right? We can't say enough good things about Frankenstein's monster. Right. Iconic performance, transformative. We we all get that. Like, it's changed everything. Like, he's amazing. I love him. I have like eight Frankenstein monsters surrounding me in my studio, which you can't see, but they're 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 always with me. I love them. But Karloff's like like not a tall man when he's in normal shoes. He's what is he? He's like five nine, I think he was in in real life or something like that. Yeah, they, and then they something like that, right? Something like that, yeah. And you have him chasing around Raymond Massey, who's like six foot four, and Melvin <laughs> Douglas, who's like six foot three. So this like hulking brute of a man that is supposed to be like the 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 thing that we're supposed to be afraid of. Yeah, I don't know, like. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like if Raymond Massey got really mad, it looked like he could easily kind of pick him up and toss him. So, oh. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Raymond Massey's a big dude. Like, they're all big dudes. Like, the women look really tiny in this. Like, Lillian Bond and Gloria Stewart looks yeah. tiny. She looked, they looked little compared, compared to the, the, it's a big, it's a cast of big men. And it is. when he's supposed to be like this big man that is supposed to be like this hulking, I don't know that his his physicality necessarily pulls it off. That's that's all. Ah, uh, but his makeup. Yes. Oh. And Demeter and Demeter and yeah. his his yeah, he 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 his let he had a lot of acting to do. He didn't have the, you know, like the lifts and the the outfit that he had as the creature is not here. So he's got he's got to do more with with, you know, the performance. And I think that he pulls off. He does. And, you know, uh, the makeup, Jack Pierce, again, knocking it out of the park with mm -hmm. what he did. And Jack Pierce was one of the earliest, you know, makeup artists. And, and y'all know this. You listen to yeah. Monster Kid Radio, you know. You uh, but Jack Pierce, you know, he's a master. And he once again created a, a really interesting look for Karloff to get buried in, but not completely that you can't see that it's Karloff. You know, he still act through the makeup. It's just really well done. It's a really interesting yeah. look. And creepy, very creepy. Yeah. When you see him through yeah. windows and uh, the close-up shots of him work beautifully. And the film, you know, it's lit. It's gorgeous. Uh, oh, like the, yeah. It's just beautiful. And the set is beautiful. And the shadows that are cast on the wall, like if you have a good transfer of, the, of this film, it's a beautiful film. You know, it's <sighs> James Well, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> like, he does he doesn't and i i take no credit away from what he did with frankenstein i love frankenstein sure but i feel like after he did frankenstein then the training wheels were off i mean you look mm -hmm. at frankenstein it's kind of like and, and i made this comparison before i don't know if i've said it recently on the show but i feel like frankenstein was like his, his version of tim burton's batman very studio influenced yeah whereas everything post frankenstein was like batman returns where they're like okay you do whatever you want man and he does yeah. And it just, it's gorgeous the way the camera moves, the way the light, oh, the gothic and the lighting and the cinematography in the old dark house, Bride of Frankenstein, Invisible Man. Oh, they're, they're just, it's, it's crisp and it's awesome. Yeah. Bride of Frankenstein is, is fantastic. I mean, it's, 
It's a really, really, really great movie that can stand up to any any genre. The way it's directed, it's it's brilliant. It's one of you know, like, and I, again, you're not you're not taking anything away from the achievement that is Frankenstein. Not but, at all. Yeah, it's but a he great also film. matured as a creator for sure, mm-hmm. and the visual sensibilities. Because the other thing about this, the old dark house, for for those that don't know, is that it is intended to be funny. You know, like there is intentional humor in it. And Here, have a potato. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. have a potato. <laughs> like, <laughs> and even the way she eats, the, the you know, like she eats like lightning fast. She's just like yeah. sucking. And I love, I love, there's something about like awkward dinner scenes in old horror movies that are just beautiful. Like um, Spider Baby, you have that as well. Oh, like in man. The, I love, <laughs> like, it's like grass on the table and like a dead cat. And everyone's yeah. just like, what? Like, huh? and he's like, you know, we don't often have guests over for dinner. And it's very much got that feel. Like, it's so weird. It's also weird. Like, it's our modern sensibilities. Never would you like pull over on the side of the road because of a storm and knock on someone's door and be like, can we sleep here for the night and have dinner with you? Like, yeah, it's just really so, not a very, uh, yeah, not something you, you, know, you do now. No, <laughs> no, no, not at all. And they're, and they're just like, yeah, look, we have a, like, we happen to have a roast prepared. That's more than enough for 10 people, which, you know, of course, I'm sure they, they, they do that every night in the old dark house. Um, and then you have like these really, these people that are just, you know, uh, Horace, the the brother, and the, this Ernest uh, Thessinger, the guy from uh, the Bride of Frankenstein. The doctor oh, he's delightful he's, in this. The light, so creepy and weird, and like this mix of like awkward cowardice that's just beautifully done. He's likable, but at the same time, like you would never want to be anywhere near this person. Oh no, not at all. There, he's incredibly off-putting and. You know, I think that's a testament to his acting ability, too. I, yeah. I don't know enough about Ernest Thessinger, and I've said this before. I need to watch more of his work because what he does in this is so different than what he does in Bride of Frankenstein. I just. Yes. Oh, but but they're yeah. both super charismatic and I but in the wrong way. I, I don't know. I just really like what he does. Yeah, it's magnetic. Like it's 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 eminently watchable. And at, a, at an hour and 15 or so, it, it moves at a, at a fast clip. Yeah, so you don't really have time to get bored, um, which is which is I think a smart move. And then you know you have the mystery of of who's upstairs, and one is revealed to be the old man, if you will, the hundred year old, the the hundred year old. And I think it's the brother. Is it the older brother? They they say it's their brother, right? Or is uh, it- I think the the brother is the one that's locked in the. Yeah, I think it's but the brother that's locked up, but uh, the the old man is the father, is the, isn't it? Is the father? Well, in the book, it's the father. I don't know. Yeah, if the, I don't know. I don't remember if they say Roderick. I think they said Roderick was their brother. I don't remember. I guess I, I should have paid. It's only one line of dialogue. Ah, uh, we'll but, have to go back and watch it again. Yeah, it's just, oh I well, mean, it was my arm, <laughs> and it played by a woman. Yeah, yeah. Elspeth, Credited as a man. Um, yeah, Dudgeon. I don't know if that's how it's pronounced, but yeah, uh, you, you, people might know her from the uh, the really cool transformation scene from Shh, the Octopus, mm. where, where she does that really cool, you know, old woman to witch on screen Jekyll and Hyde like transformation. And this is the only other thing that I know her from. Yeah, me too. You know, we're also at that stage. Nineteen was this nineteen thirty two, right? Yeah, 32? yeah. We're at that stage where a lot of the 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 performers that were showing up in Universal Pictures were from the silent era. They were, you know, they were sort of, especially like the older characters that were sort yeah. of 
you know, trying to reinvent their career in, in new film. You know, we're not that far removed from that that period in Hollywood, you know. Like Boris Karloff is not young, even at this point, you know, he's not, they all sort of paid their dues. Like the, the guy that plays the other brother, the, the, the crazy Saul, he, mm-hmm. I, he wasn't really in anything. <laughs> like he was, just, yeah. this, this was, I think he was a stage actor. If I remember reading about him. There's a lot of yeah. stage work and a lot of, uh, like he says, silent film uh, performers trying mm-hmm. to make a way into the talkies, you know? Yeah. And Saul was nuts. That was unexpected. Yeah. yeah, he's a he's a little man. Well, just, just, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> he seems tiny, right? Isn't he like yeah. little? He's like a little guy compared to what he's struggling with. Melvin Douglas looks like you know he's a little guy, but he's crazy. He's 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 creepy too. He's creepy too. Like he's he comes running out, and at first you you think that he's been tortured. You know, like he 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 tries to play the victim. He gets out, and he's like, you know, they keep me locked up there. And and does he say Morgan beats him? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and they believe him and you believe I, for a second as an audience, I believed him too. I was like, Oh, this poor guy, they keep him. What are these people doing to him? Because they're all so weird that you kind of believe that the, uh, the idea that they would keep their brother in prison and torture mm-hmm. him. Uh, and of course you find out that they keep him up there, that it seems like they're all there to make sure that he doesn't get out to cause terror on the, I guess, general populace, I, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what their end game was about, like why, why, why these people are all in this house living in such a way. They never, they never clearly define that. I don't think. Do they ever say in the book? I, I have, I still have not read the book, so I don't know. But do they ever say in the book? No, I don't think the the this movie is remarkably similar to the book. Um, I just think the ending is not the the sort of happy ending, happy Hollywood ending we get in this film. I think it ends in the way that the movie was originally supposed to end with multiple deaths and basically like, what do we do now? Yeah. The book is called Benighted, I believe. Mm-hmm. It, it, and I don't know. I read like a, like a, a while ago. This is so please, I, you know, don't quote me. It's a little foggy, but they did like a blow by blow comparison. And it was, it was very similar to the, the movie, like in most of the important plot points other okay. than the way it ended, which I think that the universal said was too bleak. Which I, I think I would have agreed. I would have been really upset if Penderel died. That would be upsetting to me. Yeah, yeah. I was happy. I was happy to see. I mean, you know, you meet a nice gal in a haunted house and you you get married the next day. Like, yeah. Makes perfect, <laughs> makes perfect <laughs> sense, right? Of course, guess, of course. I mean, I don't know how it worked in the 30s. Maybe that's the way it worked. Yeah, it was like, who knows? <laughs> hey, we, ha- we shared a nice roast beef dinner and some dirty potatoes. You want to get married? Cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's do that. That sounds like fun. <laughs> I do know at one point in the story, the, the word benighted does come up. And it's like, ah, I see what you did there. It's yeah. quite a benighted evening or something along those lines. Like, something, yeah, something I, I see it. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that, like, the, the book has, like, overtones of post-World War One. Like, I, I don't I don't know. I, I, never, I never sat down and read it cover to cover. I honestly... As a, a one um, an hour and and like I said a, a short under an hour and a half film, I don't know in, in the book format, and I apologize for for fans out there that might be huge fans of the book. I apologize, but I don't I don't know how media book that's going to be just based off of the plot that we're seeing play out on camera. Oh, also I remember reading in the book the two main characters, uh, Raymond Massey's character and, and Gloria Stewart, the the married couple. The Wavertons are experiencing marital trouble. 
Okay. And that's a major plot point where they're like, they're teetering on separation throughout the course of the story. And I think that that actually takes up quite a bit of the narrative. Okay. Is like them not getting along. I like them better as sort of like a relatively happy couple. Yeah. I Like I said, I keep meaning to read it. And I just, you know, my two read pile, it's not as bad as my two watch pile, but it's pretty, pretty, pretty deep. There's, so. there's only so many things a guy could be into, you know, like, you know, if I didn't have to sleep. <laughs> there's only so many hours in a day. I know I've been, right? it's Oscar month on Turner Classic Movies. And I'm oh, up to like three in the morning watching Spartacus, speaking of, of uh, Charles Lawton. And it's like. <laughs> you got to get some sleep. I look terrible. People are like looking at you like, is everything okay at home? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's Oscar month. I do you miss know? that. I, you know, I cut the cable when I moved up here to Vancouver. And, yeah. Uh, but but I do miss TCM. I do miss my Turner Classic movies. I, I have a, my dad's my dad's streaming because he still has, my father still has, lives in Florida and still has cable. So I have that, you know, access to it. But uh, otherwise, I, I'm an internet only guy myself, only streaming. Do you remember Filmstruck? Yeah. I mean, I miss it dearly. If you give me Filmstruck back, I'll pay you. I'll pay $20 a month for Filmstruck. It's all I oh, used to watch. I yeah. miss it so much, especially around half of these films. Uh, a lot of the films that you talk about, I, I saw because of Filmstruck. When it, you know, they, who else was going to show like Conga? I mean, <laughs> where else are you going to? Now, I, I think I saw Conga recently was on Tubi. Yeah, Tubi so, seems to be picking up a lot, but yeah. I still miss my TCM though. Or films, yeah. yeah, Filmstruck was good too. Filmstruck's good. The Criterion Collection's all right. I mean, there's something about the Criterion Collection saying that all of the Godzilla movies are worth collecting that makes me respect them no matter what else is happening. I'm like, <laughs> good on you for preserving the Godzilla films, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I recently discovered that a lot of those uh, Criterion Collection Godzilla movies, and I know we're off topic here, but yeah, I recently okay. discovered a lot of those are available legally. Like, it's it's legit. You can watch them on YouTube for free. Yes. Which yeah, there's is a lot so of problems cool. with the the rights holders and yeah and things like that. Like every every now and again, I have a huge collection of digital versions of these films. Like I said, I have the old Dark House, but I have you know all of the Frank, like you said, House of Dracula earlier. I bought all of those movies about five years ago, and they they range between like six and ten dollars, which is a steal to me to have digitally and the ability to watch them whenever I want, wherever I want is well worth it for me. So I have a catalog of probably about 80 or so classic hammer universal and, and a couple of um, amicus movies like oh, the, nice. the, the portmanteau, like the, you know, tales from yeah. the crypts type movies, uh, uh, asylum and whatnot. I, I love those anthology films are, are actually my son adores the one where Peter Cushing is uh Death. He's the fortune teller on the train. The one with Christopher uh, Lee, the Doctor Terrace House of Horrors. Terrace. Yeah, Doc. That's it. Yes, he he loves that. He loves that movie for some reason. He loves that. And he loves Horror Express with uh, the the, the Telly Savalas. He loves that movie. Uh, which that's, he always asks. He goes, Ah, oh, the one with the guy with the red eyes. Let's watch that, Dad. I go, All right, you know, no hey. problem. You got it. No problem. Um, that's a that's a parenting win right there, dude. That, yeah, and that. <laughs> We're, we're talking about what now? <laughs> the old dark See, house. This is what happens. This is yeah. what happens when monster kids start hanging out and chatting. You know, we, we talk about one thing and now we're talking satanic rites of Dracula. How do we get from 1932s, I mean, you know, the old a, dark house? To... There's a natural connective tissue, my friends, that I, you know, <laughs> that I think of. Well, we talk about Karloff, uh, yeah. you know, and we, we talk about this is the first starring 
you know, he was uncredited in Frankenstein right. uh, originally, right? And this is the first first starring role for him. And from what I read, he was kind of upset that it was, again, a non-speaking role. He wasn't happy about that. Hmm. And I could see, you know, getting to hear his voice, that commanding, amazing voice of his in later films, I could understand why he was a little upset by that, you know? But I still think he did a tremendous job. I mean, I don't really think there's, there's not a weak cast member in this this thing. So, and and again, uh, some of them just exude a, a natural charm. I, I mean, I think Lillian Bond is Gladys. I think she's adorable. Oh, she's just, yes. She's wonderful. Uh, and it's like impossible not to like her, which is incredible. And she, you know, they do all, everybody makes the best of the screen time that they're given. And it's a shame to think that this was almost a lost film. Like you said, that this was, you know. Um, it blows my mind. It just, oh. How does that happen, right? Yeah, you know, and I know early Hollywood, they didn't really think about the long-term shelf life of these movies. You know, they put right. them in the theater and they call it good. This one, you know, is a little different in that uh, they intentionally pulled it due to some rights issues and Hammer was going to make their own version of the film and, mm-hmm. you know, Universal shelved the movie. And for a long time, it was considered just, well, it's gone, you know. Whatever it's it's it was a movie that was made and we don't know where it's at and that's at. Uh, Curtis Harrington helped spearhead the recovery effort and make oh, sure it got out that. there. Yeah, that, thank, and that's great that they did. Um, yeah, I can't imagine like with such a again such a great cast, great director, yeah. great everything to to just not have that available is is wild to me. You know, like yeah. I can understand London After Midnight, which is. Probably late, right? Wouldn't we say that's like the great, the the last great lost film right I now? I think that's in, in, that's the holy grail. That's what we all look yeah. for and hope for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I understand, but at least that one you can understand that it wasn't. I don't know, like it wasn't purposely shelved. It was, it was right. lost. You know, just, like yeah. physically lost, which you know I I totally understand. But to have this movie readily available, obviously it's readily available because the mm-hmm. the copies of it that are out now on Blu-ray and DVD are beautiful. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Harrington worked with. Um, it wasn't Universal who did the restoration. I can't remember the name of the company who did the restoration, but he he was able to get them to do it. And now we've got this wonderful looking movie. Right before we started recording, though, you mentioned that you tried to watch the 1963 version. Oh uh, yeah, it's available on YouTube for free. <laughs> so. Oh boy! Now years ago, I used to do a Hammer Films podcast with Scott Morris and Casey Criswell, and the mm-hmm. old Dark House. Ah. Uh, was my least favorite Hammer film that we ever talked about on that show. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't even realize it was uh, like a, a Hammer film. Right? Uh, I, you know, there's nothing about it other than, I guess, they must have kicked a few bucks in. Yeah, I, I have no idea how that even happened. You think 1960s Hammer, you don't think of Tom Poston. No, you don't. You don't, thankfully. Not even like a biz- weird, weird, a strange cast. It's just really, bizarre. <laughs> really weirdly written. Uh, like the dialogue is not. And then it's like the soundtrack is right out of like an episode of the Brady Bunch. <laughs> where it's like. Yep. Like when people walk into the room and you're like, oh, my God. Like when he falls down the track door. Right. <laughs> it's like it literally plays like a like a you something you would hear in like a really early Hanna Barbera cartoon, and I I couldn't believe it. And the the I just I just brought it up on IMDb because the tagline is "Ready Set Laugh, Join the Fun in a Nuthouse of Terror," and 
Um, mm. Uh huh. Uh huh. Like maybe, I don't know. I didn't get the humor element of it at all. And there are people that love that film. Like if you go to watch it on YouTube, which I did, and I I don't, I don't recommend you doing that other than the, the hand-drawn intro title by Charles Adams, which is very well done. Um, But there are people in the comments that are like, I love this movie. It was on when I was a kid. And you know, it real, you realize how nostalgia can be weaponized. And we always have to be careful of it because people that are going back, seeing this movie, thinking this was like, uh, you know, a beautiful, like a really important part of their childhood that, that scares me just a little bit. You know, every movie is somebody's favorite movie. And, you know, I yeah. try real hard to, to be respectful of that. But 100%. I will say this, this is my least favorite Hammer film. It's my least favorite William Castle film. The two things should have worked, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. But, yeah, it's. I think if they would have pushed it more. And it's weird that it's billed really more as a comedy than uh, than anything else, because there isn't really much horror to be found in it. It, 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 it. Trying to be funny, but it's so restrained that it just doesn't push it enough that the original is actually funnier. Yeah. I, you know, the original, it has its horror elements. I mean, it's mm-hmm. spooky for sure, but it also, yeah. especially in this kind of almost pseudo screwball comedy kind of back and forth. You know, the dialogue is just so sharp and, and yeah. funny and engaging in a way that, you know, I don't think I've seen in any other old Dark House type movie. This just really no, is yeah. the tops. I don't, yeah, not not with the same level of um, fun, I think, that they achieved. And I, I, the movies at that time, like the early, the one, the early Universal films of the, of the 30s and, and up until the, the early 40s, a, a lot of the, the premises of the, the, the movies themselves aren't necessarily scary. Uh, but the premise is creepy and scary. The actual okay. situation that you're being posed with. By modern standards, you know, unfortunately, the one thing that we are robbed of is, as modern viewers is, is context, right? And all our, to understand all art and, and cinema most certainly is art, the hardest thing to, 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 to sort of fake or, or, or marry in your mind is the context of seeing something like the old dark house for the first time when it was brand new and there was nothing else like it. Like there wasn't a lineage of movies that were inspired by it. And it was the first of its kind, like going back and seeing Bella Lugosi's Dracula in theaters when there was nothing of the like, you know, in the popular culture is must've been an amazing thing. And that's what makes these movies so great is that the movie isn't like you said, there is, it isn't necessarily scary, but it's undeniably creepy. The, the family in the house, the house itself, the shadows on the wall, the, the, the what's up that like the whole hallway, the looking down the hallway to what's in the locked door, even the old man slash played by a woman, all of it is incredibly creepy without necessarily they don't ever rely on like jump scares or 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 sort of cheap tricks to they just set the stage for something that is sort of otherworldly and unsettling by nature and that's what i love about those films like i remember watching dracula for the first time with my son when he was like seven and he was genuinely frightened it's we can't i don't remember back to when i was seven watching it i can't remember but i suppose i probably was too the first time i saw it you know I think that's kind of something that we 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 take for granted is like the overall creepiness and the humor works against the creepiness. The humor works to sort of add that that sort of brightness to the to, to the film 
to make it sort of like this really enjoyable experience. And in the remake, there is no there is no creepiness and there is no humor. <laughs> so you're just kind of given this situation with actors that are doing the the best with what they've got. Yeah. You know, but like the buy-in isn't there. And and when you compare there's been a lot, lot of lot of films that are of the creepy family in the creepy house, you know, all the way down to, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is like a you know, sort of like a obviously a, a very heavily evolved version of it, but at the same time, we we mentioned uh, Spider Baby before, but that's the same, you know, weird family, weird house, strangers in a strange land, kind of interacting with this sort of weird people that live secluded from society, and they're trying to, you know, figure out what's going on and make the best of the situation. Like, we've seen movies of that ilk before that this inspired, but I still think that this one does it as good, if not better, than than those do. This really is the trope-defining film for that. It, it yes. really... You said that the the humor and the laughter and the comedy in mm-hmm. sharp contrast to the spooky and the gloom and the doom, it just blends the two elements together so well. And, you know, you talk about the context of these movies. You know, I often mm-hmm. joke, if I had a time machine, yeah, everybody would go back and, you know, go kill Hitler or whatever. Not me. I'd go and watch Dracula when it opened, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I want, I want to see how the audience react to Phantom of the Opera for the very first time. You know, that's right. what I want to see. You know, man, well, that experience. Well, the, the first time you saw Lon Chaney Jr. turn into the the Wolfman. Oh like, man, can you imagine what that audience would have been like? I know. I, I it had Ugh. to have been terrifying. It had to have been. You yeah. Know? Like yeah. And we take these things for granted. I, I don't know. I miss that. You know, and I, and mm-hmm. it's you can watch them through modern eyes and still appreciate them. For I mean, I didn't really. Hammer movies were something that were sort of in the back of my mind, and I really fell and rediscovered them when I was in my early 20s because of VHS tapes, because they were usually pretty cheap to find at like a garage sale or a, uh, you know, they were they were easy to find at the time, believe it or not, in my immediate area. And I, you know, I fell in love with them, but like I would love to have watched those because Hammer was risque. Like you didn't let your kids watch Hammer movies. Um, and even, you know, like my son's 10 and he's seen up until they get a little, uh, you know, like when nudity starts to show up, obviously that's a, that's a cutoff. But I also have to be careful with like some of the casual gore that takes place in those, those movies, like the later Frankenstein movies where Cushing is like handling a brain, which we, again, we take for granted and we're just like, yeah, whatever. It's quaint. It's 1960s brain. But to a nine-year-old, it's horrifying. (laughs) Sure. Sure. You know, um, and you don't realize that it's it's horrifying because you're like my my daughter is five and afraid of everything. And I remember my son and I were watching The Son of Frankenstein and she saw the monster come on camera and that was it. She was out of the room. She was like, I can't watch this. Like, nope. Nope. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like she was afraid of my shirt. I'm wearing that Christopher Lee Dracula shirt. And uh, she (laughs) said, what is all what is that shirt, daddy? I said, Dracula. And she goes, oh, it's scary. I said, good. It's supposed to be. (laughs) <laughs> and she's like okay and i put my my sweatshirt on over it so she didn't have to look at him but you know um it's a it's a good he is scary he's a vampire um, oh man you should be afraid of, of vampires that's good you're you're learning early but like you know i i love that that you can watch these films still in the context of like a, a family environment and not have to be too worried about it. But at the same time, they are creepy and horror introduces you to that. And, you know, my son at 10, he still loves a good, he, you know, we've been trying very hard to find 
those sort of like PG-13 horror movies that he can watch. Because he said to me, uh, which, you know, again, you want to talk about proud parent moment. He said, you know, I love he loves movies. We watch movies all the time. He said, but there's nothing quite like being a, a movie that scares you, dad. And he goes, you know, it's so cool. It's such a great feeling when you're genuinely scared that I, I just I want to watch movies that, that do that to me. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I totally get that. But he's like, but I don't want to watch anything that's too scary. You know, you're like, skirt that line. <laughs> so I've been looking for the PG-13. We watched um, The Hammer, uh, Woman in Black, the one with oh, okay. Daniel Radcliffe. Okay. And he loved that movie. <laughs> so, and it scared the poop out of him. <laughs> so he had, to, he was, <laughs> had a couple of jump scares and he was like, ah! But but he loved it. He loved the movie. And, uh, and you know, that's something, this was one of the first ones that I watched with him was this, uh, The Old Dark House. And he... He loved it. Like he for for a long time. Like if I I had a a Karloff movie on, he was he was down. You know, and I frequently have Karloff movies on. It's not that I don't love Bela Lugosi, but I, I do have a soft spot for for Boris Karloff. I, Die Monster Die. I absolutely love that movie. So, uh, oh, me too. It's yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the best version of of the Color from Outer Space. I think Nick Adams is great in it. It's just oh a great, man, great movie. And and you know, you got Karloff in a kind of like in a wheelchair and and but still commanding that that commanding presence on the screen is he still got it even when like like movies like the invisible ray and things like that the early stuff i I still love those films you know we talked when we were going over things to to watch you know a lot of the movies that i listed are 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 carlaw films and it's not an accident even when he's covered in makeup there's just something about him that I, i will always love watching on screen you know and the same thing about cushing same thing about oh, Cushing. For sure, yeah. It's it's hard for me to find uh, a, a Cushing film or a Carla film that I actively dislike. There's do just you have something one? about do you have do you have one Gosh, a Cushing you know, film that you it's hard. Um Star Wars. No. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what is that garbage? Rogue one. Film? That's the one. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Biggles, his last movie, The Biggles Adventure in Time. Maybe that one. Oh wow. God, I haven't seen that in forever. Yeah, maybe that one, I guess. Oh, man. I don't um, know. Yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, sort, of the, pres- sort of the Valiant he was in. I'm looking. That was not a good movie. That was a okay. Miles O'Keefe, Sword and Sorcery. Not great. King Arthur movie. I don't know if he's got a big part in it, but... So, I don't know. Hmm. I'd still watch it, though. It's funny, right? Yeah, now, I mean... If it was on, I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah pretty much pretty is much is that bad that's probably bad right but i don't know, you know I, they, they put they bring so much to the table i mean even if it's something that you know they're only in, oh god i don't even know i can't think of anything and that's what i love about like your your show you know if i may pay compliment to, to my gracious host um <laughs> you get so in-depth when you talk about these films that you can you can really feel the passion and I love that that like when people get down to really talk about a movie that others think are inconsequential and they treat it with like respect, you know, and admiration. And sure. I, I just I will listen to that, you know, all day long. I just love it. I, I and the positivity that exudes. I don't like when people, you know, and I, it's sad that I almost like did it with the the, the remake of the old dark house. But I definitely <laughs> like the podcast that people are you know, try to put a positive spin and, and use that mantra of this is somebody's favorite movie. 
because God knows that the films that I really enjoy, uh, some of them are, are, are by all metrics terrible. I frequently talk to my students because I teach a lot of film classes and I talk to them about and they ask me like for some of my favorite movies. And I was like, that's a really difficult question because I, their favorite movies that I have that I cannot by any way, shape or form defend them and tell you that they are good movies. I could just tell you that I get immense enjoyment out of them which is the difficulty in the subjectivity of, of cinema, right? And that's the glorious thing about it. But when someone can have a podcast and people can talk lovingly about like an Al Adamson movie, like Frankenstein versus Dracula. Or, I was, or, that's exactly where my brain went when you started. Yeah. <laughs> I love Al Adamson movies. I love the honesty to them. I, I like Assignment Terror. I, I watch that every Halloween, you know? So I love those movies and I don't really apologize for them. I just kind of do my best to seek out folks like you, yourself and your guests that I can talk about them in a, in a safe space <laughs> where, <laughs> where you could where you could bring up, you know, Planet of the Vampires and people will be like, oh, yeah, that was a good one. You know, um, <laughs> that's all we could do is kind of and, and make sure that we do talk about them because, you know, movies are are, are very quickly to, to get lost. And, and we're the people that have sort of tasked with keeping them alive. Yeah. You know, from an archival standpoint, and I, I, you know, I hope this doesn't bore you, but I know your, your listeners, it's really important to know that there are a lot of movies right now that were shot directly on, on videotape yeah. that are at the age now where they're deteriorating and they're just being lost. Like they're just gone. They're, they're wiped out of, of history. And to me, that's like so sad. And no, they're not good. But these are like, you know, straight to video 80s really low grade some low grade zombie stuff and some action like really bad action movies but the fact that they're being erased like they just are ceasing to exist that that's that's it's so sad to me that there's no effort because of the nature of the films because they're not considered academically or artistically important by sort of i guess a larger group they're just kind of getting lost and that just makes me so sad nobody gets together to make a bad movie Right. Like everybody, everybody that gets together to make a movie is trying to make something, trying to put their best foot forward and make something special. Right. And the thought that that's just being erased from history because no one's making an effort to, to preserve it. That just makes me sad. I mean, there, there's a few that have survived, you know, from that era that, that are getting treated very well. Uh, the American Genre Film Archive is doing great work with uh, like something weird video and some of these other companies. That's great. But, but there's a lot that, you know, it's just. Yeah, I, I I wish there was a way to uh, to preserve a lot of these movies that are just sitting in somebody's attic somewhere. Yeah, just thought they're know? they're wearing away, they're physically yeah. wearing away. And like for any any of us that are fans of this type of genre, you know, that are fans of these types of films, you know, I think preservation is is really important because we won't we won't see their likes again. You know, that's obvious, right? You're never going to get a movie like The Old Dark House made again. I don't think we'll ever see that again. Right. So, you know, we, we kind of owe it to those those performers and directors that, that put forth these, like, really great pieces of, of, of cinema to, to kind of, like, spread the word, so to speak, and get people to watch them. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Um, like, like, watch this movie. Go buy it. Especially if it's obscure. You, you, it's like, you know, the secret handshake. Like, you know, the people that, that you can you bond with or the people that know this stuff. And it's like, yes, there's something we can, <laughs> we can, we can agree upon when you can get it to, cause everybody knows that Boris Karloff is, you know, they know the Grinch and they know Frankenstein, but when you could get into a serious conversation about die monster die, you know, now oh, you're on, they, now you you're on to something. Now, now you're in for, 
now you're in for an afternoon. You know, make another <laughs> pot of coffee and get the conversation going, my friend. There you go. So, we should have like a secret code, just kind of like whisper, have a potato, and then see what happens. Have you know, a then... potato is a, is a <laughs> is a good one. Absolutely. And did you see what he's scraping off the potato? Like like dirt. It was. Uh, it's it's not pleasant. It's like a boiled dirty potato. How do you boil a potato and still have it be dirty? I have no idea. <laughs> Oh, those those that femme family—they're nuts. Growing stuff in their backyard, right? Where'd they get the roast from? Oh God, I don't want to know. You know, you don't even know what that animal was, right? Like, but that old lady ate Rebecca. Was it Rebecca? She ate fast. She was into it. She was gulping it down. She was like afraid they were going to take her food, and she's handed out the bread. Like she's cutting the bread and just like like passing it down, and they're all trying not to laugh. Yeah. It's great when she hands the piece of bread to Melvin Douglas and he just kind of smiles and nods. It's like a, a little moment like that happens like in the background a little bit where he just takes the bread and like puts it down on the table, looking at her like she's the oddest thing on the planet. And you know he has a million things that he would like to say, but he's trying not to be rude. Right. Which is <laughs> he's trying to be on his best behavior, which I think is is really funny. You know what is another great movie of that type too? Like the black cat, right? Feels like the oh, black cat. Oh god, it's so yeah. good. Black Cat's a good movie. That's one of my absolute favorite Karloff Lugosi films. Is it? Yeah, it's good. I watched that the other day, actually. I was just in the mood. I came home from a long day at work, and I wanted something, you know, like a hot bowl of soup, right? Like movie comfort food. Yeah. And my son sat down and watched it for the first time, and he oh. was like, he goes, are these Satanists? Like, is this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. And he's like, huh. He's like, isn't this like kind of an old movie to have like talk about the devil in it? I was like. Yes, it is, Luke. <laughs> That's his thing. I go, yeah, yes, it is. He goes, oh, is that girl dead? Like, I go, well, yeah. You know, he's like, what's he, what's, what's he got all these dead girls? I go, well, <laughs> you know, I was like, so the new Kirby, <laughs> the new Kirby game comes out this weekend, like change the subject immediately. Oh man. Cause I didn't want to get into like why, why Satanist <laughs> Boris Karloff is keeping dead women in his house. <laughs> complicated discussion you know we'll save that for when he's 12 yeah uh, it sounds like <laughs> now we'll have a discussion about dead women uh, but like the the proper care and, and 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 preparation of but like that you know that's a sort of like a there's oh, i guess God. a lot of premises where like it's nasty out and we have to stay at a stranger's house you know that we just don't do that anymore if people knocked at my door Mm-hmm. And they were like, hey, there's a storm. Can we crash? I'd be like, who are you? <laughs> I don't remember them ever offering to pay either, did they? No, it's just like, hey. Yeah, they just kind of walk in. It's like, yeah. Um, and isn't there right. even a little bit, a little gag? Like, oh, not bags. Right, I can't take right. your bags. You know, just like, no beds. Like, we have no bed. What are you doing? So, And they're like, we're just going to sit by the, you're going to sit by the fire for 16 yep. <laughs> hours? Like, what are you going to, what, what's going on here? Like it's it's just all so strange, but I mean it works. But it works. It yep. works. They make the best of it. I guess you got to get the characters together. It is, somehow. but so yeah, yeah. I mean, I will say this about the the remake: the contrivance of how they got everybody to the house does make a little bit more sense. Oh, the family only stays to inherit the money of the family if they live in the house. They have to live in that. They have to be there by midnight every night and stay in the house at night. Or you're out of the will, basically. You're removed from the, the family fortune. So it makes sense why they're, okay. they're all, okay. all the families kind of cloistered to this location. Like they can't leave. If they leave, they're they're turning their back on an enormous wealth. 
you're like, okay, I kind of get that. Like that makes, you know, at least I have a reason for okay. being there. <laughs> like I said, I am chatty. And if you give me the opportunity, you don't want me to start talking about something <laughs> new. <laughs> Well, we, we are you know. kind of winding down. So before yes. we, we do finally call it quits, mm -hmm. is there anything upcoming for you that you want to talk about in terms of like new card sets you're working on or anything like that? I, I just completed some work on, on some sets that aren't due out for, they're not coming out super soon. I did a lot of work for uh, Star Wars Masterworks, which has been delayed a lot, but should should be out sometime in April. I did a lot of work for Cryptozoic's Middle Earth card set, which I'm I'm pretty proud of. That's the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, films and the Hobbit films, and that's due out barely soon. But again, the release the problem right now is the release dates just keep getting pushed back because of printing difficulties and paper shortages. But you know, uh, those are the two big sets that I have that should be out almost immediately. Um, I did a tremendous amount of work for RR. Parks cards, shout out to RR Parks cards and the uh, Up Your Alley, uh, the Ultraman, uh, first Ultraman card set. Oh, um, are you part of that? I am, yeah. Oh, I, nice. I, I'm one of the, or I did, uh, oh man, I've, I've probably done four rounds of sketch cards for uh, Ultraman Series 1 and I just completed a bunch for Ultraman Series 2. I work really closely. I work with uh, Richard's, one of my favorite people to work for. He's a fantastic guy and a passionate guy. Um, so I do his Halloween sets and uh, uh, Ultraman was just fantastic. And I'm a huge fan of Ultraman. And we're doing work for Ultra 7. And, you know, I never tired of drawing Kaiju. So anytime he needs me to, he sends me cards. I also did work for the uh, Puppet Master set that that's uh, coming out from uh, Attic Cards, uh, a Sasquatch set. So, you know, every once in a while they let me draw some monsters. And I, and I love that. I'm forever thankful for that. Um you know, that's that's like I said at the at the opening, that's my favorite show. So, yeah, those of you that are fans, Ultraman, the Ultraman sets the first licensed, officially licensed Ultraman card set in America. He really got some great autograph cards in there from the surviving cast members and some some just awesome stuff. He also does the Mystery Science Theater cards, okay. which I've done a, a bunch of a bunch of stuff for Mystery Science Theater. I did uh, work for him, too, for Manos. This, you know, who doesn't love Matos? Who doesn't want to draw Torga like you're, you know, talk about wish fulfillment. And the nice thing is uh, Jackie, the actress that was the master's daughter. Yeah. Right. We became Facebook friends and she's, uh, she's awesome, right? Yeah. She's so lovely. She sent, a, she sent me such a nice message when, uh, when I started working on the set, she was just like, you know, I, I love your artwork and I'm so happy that, you know, and I was like, oh my God, what a, what a nice lady. Like. Uh, you know, you didn't have to do that. She couldn't be any more uh, lovely. So working with all these people has just been great uh, on the genre stuff. But that's the the immediate, like, you know, as always, I'm just always drawing. I, I've got four card sets that are in progress upstairs. <laughs> I got to go back to drawing after we get off of this. More Star Wars. Finally, a, a new Marvel set coming during the summer. So I'm already, you know, booked with, with projects probably straight through to the, like, July but I love this stuff. I never take breaks, man. I just, I work, I draw seven days a week. I, I love this stuff. I love being involved in it. I'm very fortunate. I think my, you know, I, I always say in a lot of the podcasts that I do are based around art and design and, and I want to start one myself based around art influences and, oh, wow. and whatnot. But yeah, that's, that was the goal, but a, a pandemic kind of, you know, came in and, and kind of wrecked that as far as uh, timing and everything. But when you love what you do, it's a, it's a gift. 
you know, so you, you love talking about it, doing it, being immersed in it. It's, it's fantastic. So I'm a, I'm a lucky guy and, uh, I, I love the, I love the work. So I'm going to keep doing the work, you know, well, living so, the dream, man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I wish that for everybody. I want everybody to be able to, to do what they love. It's, it's awesome. Makes every day good to get up and do what you love. So. Right on. Well, I want to make sure people know where to find you. So again, it was Instagram, right? That's the best yep, place I go. Yeah, Instagram is uh, Warp Zone Graphics, W-A-R-P, Zone, Z-O-N-E, Graphics. Um, if you just search for my name, Michael Mastermaker, it's pretty unique. You know, it should take you to my to my work or my involvement in card sets. And on, on Facebook, I post the same thing that I post on Instagram. I post on Facebook under uh, Michael Mastermaker. And uh, Warp Zone Graphics on Facebook is, is also me. If you want to look at a piece of artwork every day that is uh, involved in the in the fantasy genre or the the sort of pop culture or or classic horror that's that's what i do i don't you're not going to see anything else but art that's all i post no no so, still live stuff like fruits of you know vegetables or anything no just... <laughs> no left to my own devices i'll draw skeletor i'm not going to draw you know I, I did my, <laughs> yes you know i'll draw skeletor and gi joe characters and i'm working on a a series of original comic sort of like comic book pages as as individual pieces of artwork for a i've got a gallery exhibition but that's not till maybe september that i'll be a part of out here on long island and i'm, I'm doing some new work for that in between the the licensed work and i'll be post i post that a lot online as well and most of the commissions i'm taking right now are just sketch cards because some of the larger pieces it's just hard to make the time for like i said to you earlier man there's just only so many things that that a guy could be into yeah, so it's like yeah, there's always so many hours <laughs> in a day, and yeah, uh, you know. So we try to be mindful of that, so I don't completely wear myself out. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. But in the meantime, I've got the podcast to keep me busy, and and making new friends and having them on the show. So I appreciate you taking the time to do this uh, today. And yeah, my absolute pleasure. Have a potato. See the top double thrill, double chill motion picture program of the year. Curse of the Werewolf. In color, the harrowing story of the legendary half-man, half-wolf. His evil beast blood demanded he kill, kill, kill. Plus, the shadow of the cat. A shocking adventure into murder and psychotic fear. Two terrifying hits together. Don't miss them. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Once again, thank you for being here. I know I thanked everybody at the top of the show, but I'm going to thank you again for sticking around and downloading the show, sharing posts about the show, retweeting tweets, letting people know all about the show. Anything that we can do to help grow the Monster Kid audience makes the show that much better because the more, the monster merrier, and you're part of that. You're like my cyber street team, kind of, sort of, if you want to be. I'm not saying you have to. Just saying, you know, it, it helps. Anyway, thanks for being here. <laughs> and thanks to Kenny and to Mark as well. And another shout out to, you know, should we call him? I don't want to call him Dr. Tom, but th there's got to be another name for him. I, I, Is he my Dr. Frankenstein? Doffelstein? Tom Doffelstein. I kind of like that. That's what I'm going to call him from now on. Again, I know he probably doesn't listen to the show. I know he probably, I don't think he's listening to the show right now, but I'm going to start calling him that and we'll see how that goes over. But in the meantime, thanks to Mr. Excuse me, Dr. Doffelstein once again for helping get the computer back up and running. I can tell you more about 
the details of what was done to the computer. Maybe this weekend on the Monster Kid Movie Club stream because it is coming back. Not that it was gone for very long. We just had so many computer issues that we had to postpone or cancel Tuesday's Monster Kid Astronomy Club. Which, by the way, we are going to be bringing that back as well. Uh, we're going to be doing that on Tuesday of next week around 3.30 or so p.m. on Twitch at twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. Come and join us for some classic science fiction in which we go to the planet Mars. We're going to get our Martian on in the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, but that's on Tuesday. Let's talk about Saturday, which may be when you're listening to this, and if that's the case, I'm really sorry. But this Saturday, the Monster Kid Movie Club is back. It's April 2nd in the Monster Kid Movie Club, which is pretty darn close to April 1st. So we're going to have a foolish horror comedy time when we watch movies like Bela Lugosi Meets a Broken Gorilla. Haunted Spooks, Who Killed Doc Robin, all sorts of funny horror comedy, and, you know, the only thing that's going to be missing is you. So come and join us. It's free. At 11 a.m. Pacific, we start the pre-show produced by the slap-happy Scott Morris, and then around noon, the movies themselves start. And around 6 o'clock or so Pacific, I try to pop in for a live appearance, and then we wrap up with some more movies after that so please join us it's free and it's fun and like i said having you there makes it even better let's talk about what's coming up next week on the show i can tell you what's going to happen i already know unless something happens and they don't show up dominique lamsey's and chris mcmillan are coming to my home my place in vancouver first time for chris second time for dominique and we're going to sit down and have a conversation about a movie that we've been wanting to talk about for a long, long time. I'd say that Chris actually brought this up to me during the first year of Monster Kid Radio, and we just have never done it. And I know other people have brought this movie up before too, but because Chris wanted to talk about it and he and I discussed making it happen, I wanted to sit on it until the time was right, or I remembered. And that's what we're doing next week because they're coming up to talk about The Fiend Without a Face. Oh, man, this is going to be another first-time watch for me. I know, I know, don't take my Monster Kid card away. I'm sorry, there's a lot of classic monster movies out there that I still haven't seen. I am really looking forward to this one. So come back next week for that. I'm going to do my best to make sure the show does not go out next Friday night. I'm trying to get it scooted up a little bit. Scooch it just a little bit. Scooch it. You know, get a little scoochy with it and maybe get it out Thursday night, early Friday morning. That, that's the new plan. That's the new goal. Keep your fingers and tentacles crossed. If you want to keep up with everything that's going on here on Monster Kid Radio, check us out at monsterkidradio.net. That's where everything you need to know about the show is. Links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Reddit, our Discord, and the Twitch. It's all there. Plus, links to our Amazon shop, which I had to go through and reinstate as well with the passwords and everything, but it's back as well. So if you want to shop for anything on Amazon, whether it's something you heard about here on the show or just anything in general, please consider using the Amazon affiliate links at monsterkidradio.net because every time you do that, we get a few pennies out of Jeff Bezos's pockets and, you know, he's got plenty to spare. So don't feel bad for him if you're hooking us up. So please consider doing that. Plus, of course, there's going to be a link to the Bandcamp page where you can go and pick up the album, the new release coming from Shorty's Swingin' Coconuts. I think that's it. Yeah, I think it is. So let me remind you, 
The Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Sugar Moon. That is copyright 2020, Shorties Swingin' Coconuts. I want to see that copyright form. I, just, I, I really do. Anyway, this coming out on their album, Mai Tai in Hi-Fi. You can find that at swingincoconuts.bandcamp.com. Check them out. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week when we talk about The Fiend Without a Face with Chris and Dominique. I could have done that better. Kind of make it rhyme. Fiend Without a Face next week with my friends Chris and Dominique. You know, I've been watching that Wu-Tang show on Hulu, so I got, like, natural rhyming in my head, right? Ciao. <laughs>